Hey, all right, this is Tim Crisp, and you're listening to Road to the Skeleton Coast with Brendan Kelly. Brendan, what's going on, Bubba? How are you? Man, I'm good. You know, the actual Skeleton Coast itself, the record by the Lawrence Arms, comes out next week, um, which is very, very <laughs> exciting. Um, and uh, I actually got the vinyl in the mail yesterday, and I can assure you it's as beautiful as you would expect it to be. Which is very, very beautiful. That is so cool. That is so freaking like just we have been able to follow you on this journey that, um, you know, obviously we're going back through your career. But when we started doing this podcast together, we got some inklings of a new Lawrence Arms record and then we got to come all the way up through the announcement all of that stuff and now we're a week away you've got the physical thing in your hand what sort of uh what are you looking forward to the most one week from today um one week from today i'll be looking most forward to Friday, which is when the record actually comes out, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> you know. Well, uh, it was more of a like today, right. meaning Cause, the cause, day like, the podcast comes out. Comes out uh-huh. This comes out on Friday, but yeah, you know, I'm a real bitch. Um, I'm just excited for everyone to hear it, man. You know, like um, mm-hmm. the the art contained in the record or whatever, like it has no importance at all until someone listens to it and makes it their own, you know? Mm-hmm. And so like, it's, it's sort of like I've made, I've made, we, Chris Neal and I and Matt Allison, um, mm. made, and Dan Tinkler, I got to include Dan Tinkler in there, made <laughs> the, this fucking Frankenstein's monster. And we're late waiting for the lightning to hit the antenna so it can come to life. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, I'm really fucking excited to see how it lives. Um, that's actually a hundred percent of what I'm looking forward to. That's the, the, that's the end game with all this shit is like, um, you know, I mean, obviously we do it for ourselves and everything, but to see the art, like live and grow on its own. And I mean, art is kind of a pretentious word Uh, to see the songs, um, Mm -hmm. you know, fucking, find their place in people's hearts or, or maybe not, you know, whatever. It's like, it's always fascinating. And, um, that's, that's why we do it. So as, as someone, we didn't really talk about, uh, how we're going to talk about this this week or next week, we will have an episode of this podcast next week and we will definitely find a cool way to integrate the new record into it and hopefully into everyone's experience with listening to, the record when it comes out, having a podcast that's there to, um, you know, just, uh, I guess, aid in the excitement. But as someone who's been doing this for so long and you've seen your career go through so many different phases and you're now in a place where you're um, you're releasing your music mostly to your people, you know that your audience is not waiting there to hate it, but 
how has the how has that experience kind of changed for when you're releasing a new record is there still like that butterflies feeling of like what if it's not actually good well two parts to this first part is i don't think any of us write with anybody else in mind you know Mm. what i mean it's like this is what the lawrence arms can do right now like that's and we do it to the best of the ability we can and that's why you know we take a lot of time between records these days it's just like to make sure there's something important to say and there's a cool sound to convey it Mm -hmm. with right um so in that regard it's like eh, fuck it this is the record you know like it or lump it but at the same time it would be super disingenuous of me to be like, I don't care if anyone likes it. It's like, I, I want to make music that people like. That's, um, you know, like, um, you know, I say this all the time, but it's like, um, kids will come up to me at shows and kids, you know, men, women, uh, what, what, who, what have you. And they'll be like, Hey, I feel like a real dorky fanboy, but, uh, like this means so much to me. Thank you for being here. It's so cool to talk to you. And I'm like, Yo, when I was a kid, I heard music that was so important to me that I dedicated my life to living in a fucking van, you know, like, uh, like mm-hmm. so I get it. I'm one of you, you know, I, I don't find this to be dorky at all. Like, I find it to be fucking right on, you know, and like there is. I mean, we're older than we've ever been. I know that's the same for every single person on earth. Mm-hmm. But like, uh, but like, um, there, you know, Ryan Young from off their heads once said to me, he's like, how many songs you think you still got in that toothpaste tube up there, man. You uh-huh. know? <laughs> and, and like, I've seen bands that I love that have turned to shit. And so I'm the last person to really know if what we did was great or total fucking fart in a spacesuit, you know, like mm-hmm. who, who knows? But, um, and so that'll be interesting to see. I definitely, I think, I think this is a great album and I think it speaks to what people want to hear right now. And mm-hmm. I think that it just like happens to be very relevant with the times we're living in. But you know, if everybody's like, this sucks ass, these dudes lost it. I would be like, well, you know, we're fucking old. I mean, like, not everybody could be no means no, you know? Right. Um, so, <laughs> but um, we are trying to be no means no. So, <laughs> I, um, there was a story that you told on our Patreon, patreon.com slash better sandwich, that really put a lot of things into perspective for me. Um, and it was a story you told about, um, seeing the weaker thans at the fireside bowl and talking to John Samson outside. And it was a very knowing, like I said to him, my old band played with propaganda and he, in your words was kind enough to say, I remember that show. Right. Yeah. And I think that, I think that that is such a relatable experience and it's something that doesn't really change as you grow older where we're all still a part of the same thing and 
um, you know, we've all grown with your music and I think seeing a band that ages as well as yours does is something that as I get older, I really get to take in just like how profound that can be to still have it. Well, thanks, man. I mean, um, I really appreciate that. That's like sort of the idea. And it's like, um, you know, if we have to like Rodney Dangerfield our way through this shit, then we'll Rodney Dangerfield our way through this shit. That's that's uh, that's totally fine <laughs> with me, man. Um, I'm just happy that people still care. And um, I mean, I don't know. Fucking you can leave a comment or tweet to me or whatever that I'm wrong. But I feel like we're still like kind of a current band as weird as that is um as much as we are a legacy band as well and i know that we fall into that category but um you know it's like uh some of our most popular songs are on metropole so that's um Mm -hmm. something that keeps me driven and hungry to like put out another record to be like okay some of our best songs will be on this how about that you know and i mean Mm -hmm. is that going to be true or not we will find out on Friday, you know? I think that this is such a crazy and unique uh, experience to uh, be putting out a record in this time. We'll talk a lot about that, obviously, next week, where I will have to, I think, go out of my way to say to you several times, like, it's okay to be excited about this thing. There's other (laughs) shit going on, but it's still fucking exciting that there's a Lawrence Arms record, and I will relate an experience that I had of listening to it for the first time. And it's something that everybody's going to get to experience uh, for themselves in a week. But hearing this record at the beginning of quarantine, first line of Skeleton Coast just went boom, right to the back of my head. Like, yep, that's uh, exactly what's going on right now. <laughs> yeah, man, it's, it's, um, it's weird. Um, and, I've actually said this in a few interviews and it's like, because the record, you guys will hear it soon. Um, some of you that have like uh, pre-orders will probably hear it before Friday, um, especially with the vinyl, but it sounds like it was written about this time. It was not, you mm-hmm. know? Um, I mean, just the fact that it's like sort of thematically about like a sort of an outpost at the end of the world where you try to find your happiness where you can in isolation was sort of the idea. Um, and there's nothing I would hate more than to say this wrong, but there's nothing cool about this fucking pandemic. There's nothing cool. I mean, there is something very cool about this, like civil unrest that's going on because it Mm. has to happen, but I don't like that. It has to happen. I don't like that. There's a fucking virus killing people. Mm. What I'm thankful for is that we wrote a record that could still be relevant in this time because we wrote it before. And like, how fucking shitty would it be if we wrote a record about like, you know, girlfriends and part-time jobs. And then like, (laughs) fucking all of a sudden there's a pandemic and all of a sudden there's like all this civil unrest and it's just like, Oh, these old men, uh, no, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? So I'm definitely, yeah. I'm really glad that we, wrote this record this way because I feel like there's a relevance to it. And uh, to be very clear, I'd rather there was not a pandemic and I'd rather 
um, the <laughs> cop, cops uh, weren't murdering people, you know, but <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I think that's something we can uh, we'll probably circle back to a couple times as we talk more and more about the record when it's out is the fact that while we are living in strange and fucking times that um, in some ways uh, felt very predictable, but in other ways were totally unpredictable. We, I think Skeleton Coast is uh, something that will point out the fact that while things did get crazy this year, there was a lot of buildup to all that craziness, and we're all still moving on the same timeline, even if it's a little weird. But speaking of timelines, yeah, let's return to where we were last week. Okay, let's. A guided tour. Of Chicago, we got to meet Neil, and we got to uh, have Chris meet Neil, and we have a band that's practicing in the basement, and shit is coming together. Did it continue to come together quickly? You had four songs last week. Um, My best memory is that the shit must have come together really quickly because I don't remember us ever being like, nah. That's not working. It was like, mm-hmm. you know, and I mean, I think that there was just like such a rejuvenation from like sort of like a slightly new point of view that it's really hard to sort of put in context now. But at the time, what the Lawrence Arms were doing was odd, mm-hmm. you know, and um, and I think that we just like leaned into this. I mean, not like we use weird chords. Not like the idea of being like sort of like insurgent and like navel gazing at the same time is a is a weird thing, mm-hmm. but just like the way that we packaged the sound and the way like the lyrics were like sort of um, at once high and low brow and all this stuff. I think it created a sense of like identity that once we started doing all the other songs to like fill out the record. It was just like, oh, yeah, that's a Lawrence Arm song. Oh, yeah, that's a mm-hmm. Lawrence You know, like, it, mm-hmm. it was almost like, it was like we we came together and, like, the faucet was on, you know? Totally. Yeah, the form was, um, the form was there, and then you start writing stuff, and it just, like, kind of flows just right well, yeah. into it. Like, 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 once the, I hate to use the word paradigm, because it's, like, a fucking stupid word. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> great booking agency though um but uh (laughs) um but um like once the paradigm was there it was like oh i have so much to say in this particular on this particular avenue of Mm -hmm. thought you know and so like um and again this record i mostly wrote so like although you know, Chris and Neil's contributions to it are like invaluable, obviously. And like, but when it comes to the songwriting, it was like, at this point I was just like cranking on these songs, but clearly, because as we talked about with ghost stories, Chris was writing songs too. He Mm -hmm. just wasn't sure he was ready to bring them to the Lawrence arms. But obviously it was that same thing because like he brought those ghost stories tracks that he was writing while I was writing these songs, Mm -hmm. you know, um, he brought those in like pretty much immediately after this record was recorded. And they obviously speak to the same sort of, uh, you know, muse or whatever, for lack of a better term. 
Totally, totally. So I, I guess, um, you know, when we spoke in the past about this record, um, the way that you framed it as far as Chris goes was that um, that he was maybe holding back a little bit, that almost like you had to get through a guided tour for him to feel like that sharing from him, like that he should be sharing new songs. But then you like I've also heard a little bit of um, the you felt like you wrote all of the songs and then Chris was kind of like, oh, okay, I guess those are all the songs for the record. Well, I don't recall that. Um, that that could very possibly be the case, but he never brought any songs in. So mm-hmm. I, so it that would be news to me. I, I mean, I, I, don't, I suppose you might have been possible. like you might have been self-flagellating a little bit. I think in I your think, framing. I think um, you know, like I went back and listened to this record again before we did this particular episode, and uh-huh. one thing that I'm noticed on it was that like Chris is fucking going for it with like the guitar parts with his backing vocals mm-hmm. like he might not be um he might not have been all in as like a songwriter when we got these songs together but by the time we were in the studio he was clearly ready for ghost stories to happen mm-hmm. he, you know and and um because he he fucking kills it on this thing man it's just like it's very punk and very raw but like um it is not a dude that's got reservations about the product for sure you know for sure so we it's an interesting album i guess to talk about um just in comparison to the way things work for most bands you get together maybe play a few shows maybe do a demo maybe do a seven inch maybe do a record and here we have something that is a band that hasn't played a show yet and Mm -hmm. hasn't uh released anything prior but it's an lp right um that has a lot to do with the fact that i think slapstick um played such a big role in the evolution of at first dill and then when mike was like hey i'm splitting from dill i'm starting my own label called asian man mm-hmm. i believe me 30 was the first band to be like yep we're going with you and then i think we were the second you know oh, okay and yeah. um and it's sort of i think and you know less than jake obviously followed close behind and i don't i don't know who else but i mean like i remember those bands being like very much sort of like the early stuff that was on Asian man. Mm-hmm. And some, and some bands stay behind on dill as well. Um, but that was the beginning of, I think Mike having a career as a label head. Right. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden he had the slapstick record, which was making money. He had less than Jake record. that was making money. He had the NBC 30 record. that was making money. And, when I came to him and was like, I've got yet another band. And he was like, Oh, but the Broadway's, you know, Jesus Christ, what the fuck? You know I'm like? No, no, this is different. This is me and Chris and this dude, Neil. Um, we'd like to put out a record. And he was like, 
okay <laughs> you know and um so it was just that sort of access that we had from happening to have been at the right place at the right time you know like uh, me personally um having been in a band that like sort of like believed in him when he didn't have jack shit mm-hmm. and um although that's probably not accurate to say mike's a very smart guy but uh you know he just kind of returned the favor i think um and it was definitely going to be the last time uh <laughs> you know after the broadways <laughs> i think he was like although he did do the honor system as well but that was, but hanaway was in slapstick as well you know so i think he mm-hmm. had i think he had a um he had a sense of loyalty to us which i i can't overstate how rare and awesome that is in this industry mm-hmm. and um he gave us the chance to put out this very shitty demo as a fucking lp <laughs> yeah it's something that um i i think i realized after we did the broadways episode where i'm like god we're 15 songs on this record but uh that was a cd and this is a cd and if you mm-hmm. were to do an ep um it would probably be released maybe it would be a seven inch on asian man but it would also just as easily be an ep on asian man so aside from like recording costs for an lp um as compared to a, a smaller release if it's all coming out on cd would it just be the same uh effort on mike's part at that time yeah it would be um and you know, like the fucking famous story about this album is that Mike gave us a budget to record with, and we were recording with Mike Giampa, mm-hmm. who was hilariously vastly more expensive than Matt Allison. Um, and um, we recorded this all at once. Um, like, um, we recorded that it's one take. Like the guitar, bass, and drums, all the way through. Oh um, we we played in sequence. He was like, "Just just stay in there, unless we fuck something up, you know." Uh-huh. And then we we go back, um, which also is the great story that I think I've told before, where we were playing, and we, I felt like we were really feeling it. And he hits <laughs> the talk back, and he's like, "Okay, dudes, come in here." I was like, "Oh, I thought that was going pretty well. Let's let's see what's up." And we go, and he's like, "Check out this riff." <laughs> check out this song i wrote it's awesome <laughs> we <were> like, holy <laughs> shit man <laughs> but uh <laughs> but so the big thing is that we recorded this record i mean at like sort of light speed you know mm-hmm. trying to play everything like you know basically all at once and um then at the end we just ran out of money and so it never got mixed and so that's the unmixed <laughs> fucking record that you right. had. Like that record's never been mixed cause we couldn't afford it. That's so crazy. And I'm sure that there's really, I mean, I guess I don't know enough about studio magic to think that it really couldn't be properly remixed because I'm sure that there's no original master tape lying around. No. I mean, <laughs> with, First of all, it was on ADAT, so that would be like a very expensive proposition uh-huh. just to to hook up an ADAT machine. I would assume. I guess I don't really know. Um, and second of all, you know, Mike Yampa passed away, and uh, 
who fucking knows? Like his wife was like a 19 year old Bulgarian, like, <laughs> you know, Jesus like, a, uh-huh. and I don't think he was close with his parents or anything. I mean, I don't, I don't know, but I'd be very, very surprised if those tapes have survived mm-hmm. to this point. So where did you find Giampa? Do you remember? But Neil and Tim Mackrath, who's now in Rise Against, were in that band Baxter. Uh-huh. And they were recording with him. I think Tim found him. And, gotcha. and so at that point, that was when we were like, uh, Matt Allison, you know, he he like just blows us off and you know, we mm-hmm. show up and he's four hours late or whatever, despite what he would uh say on our Patreon. He used to be like four <laughs> hours late. Um <laughs> And um, and Neil was like, well, I know a guy, the guy that recorded the Baxter stuff. He's great. Right. And we were like, yeah, okay. And so, I mean, it was as simple as that, um, finding Giampa. Uh-huh. I guess, um, and this factors in a, a couple different ways, because um, this record comes out in October 99. October 98, there is a... Asian Man release that was recorded by Matt Allison. Uh, some people might have heard it. It was called God Damn It by uh, the God Alkaline Trio. Damn it. So um, I guess that's always been interesting to me is that um, that just like Matt recording trio wasn't enough of a of a bridge for that gap. Or did you did you not even did you not think about it in those terms? That didn't mean shit to me because, like, at the time, the Alkaline Trio was just, like, another band that, to me, just hadn't learned their lesson about Matt Allison. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, uh, like they – with Matt – we just flew Matt Allison down to Texas uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> to do our new record. I love Matt Allison. I don't have a bad thing to say about him. But, like, you know, back then it wasn't like – Ooh, wait, the Alkaline Trio is recording there? It was like the Alkaline Trio was just some fucking band that had like sure. didn't didn't have any fans. They hadn't done anything. I mean, goddamn it wasn't out yet. You mm-hmm. know? I mean, it was before they recorded it, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so like it, that didn't really mean jack shit to me. Um uh I will say I'm glad we went back to Matt Allison. I'm I'm, I'm very <laughs> pleased with that decision. Uh, so so was the was it like just kind of a natural um you know you talked about having no real intentions for this project beyond the basement this was something that was not going to be the slapstick for you it wasn't going to be the broadways for you and chris this was a basement band you're yep. in college at the time mm-hmm. um was there i guess there's a certain sense of like uh, seriousness that comes with making a record, at least in like the way that we view it. Um, but was there, did anything change? Do you think between like writing those first few songs and then you have more coming together and then it's let's make a record. Did you still feel like you were staying like pretty level with the original intention and holding to it? Let me put it this way. I went to film school at Northwestern, mm-hmm. right? So one of the things I had to learn was Photoshop, which mm. I'm still cannot do. <laughs> the 
guided tour of Chicago, um, uh, like the actual package of it. Mm-hmm. I took all those photos on a disposable camera. I got them developed at Walgreens. They all turned out purple. And I was like, well, fuck it. I don't know what else to do. And I fucking laid that thing out myself. It's the only layout situation I've ever fucking done. Because we didn't have any money. Because we'd already fucking blown through it just tracking, right? Uh Um, And so that's why, like, the words, the Lawrence Arms, are uh, translucent on the cover. I couldn't figure out how to make them (laughs) opaque. Um, and, And then... You know, when I'm sitting in there sequencing it with Giampa, that's the reason that there's that little, like, fucking lullaby thing gets its own track because, you know, we were like, yeah, fuck it, that's fine. Yeah. You know, um, and, and like, it, so no, no, there, mm-hmm. <laughs> nothing, nothing had changed. I mean, mm-hmm. we were really, really half-assing this shit. I mean... I, I literally was going around with like a fucking Kodak plastic disposable camera taking pictures of things around the Lawrence Arms building that I thought would be kind of cool. And then I was like, well, none of these are that good, but uh, this will be the art for the record. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the um, the record cover, it does have the um, the font designed in a way that is pretty close to what you've maintained for the Lawrence arms uh, or one of the logos, at least where did the original design come from? That came from Chris Bach, um, Mm. who is the guy that designed flappy originally. Mm -hmm. um, And who was my, to say my closest friend in college would be a gross understatement. He was my only friend in college. He was like a DC hardcore and like, hip-hop kid and he also was into graffiti and stuff like that and uh we just saw each other and it was a little bit of probably mating in captivity because he was like a straight edge dude and i was like a wasteoid you know and it was just like okay Mm -hmm. whoa you no minor threat and like what a 360 flip is and you also think rakim is a good rap okay yeah okay we're gonna be (laughs) you Uh know like but since then um we've gone on to be great friends and he's like so integral to the for lack of a less horrible term branding of this band just because it really was nothing at the time and so i was like do you think you could like draw our band name in a cool way mm-hmm. he was like yeah fuck it i'll okay i'll do that you know and we were just like sitting around like watch a tv in a dorm totally so did he do the um the la design that's on the cd yes yes absolutely it's funny it's like such a relic of the past it's interesting the way that like flappy and the design of the font for the lawrence arms have all retained in some way you don't have too many things in your in your bands like list of iconography that have just been like nixed mm-hmm. and that la if anybody wants to check it out it's on discogs you can see it you can there's also a live photo of y'all looks like you're playing at a video store or in a library yeah that was um 
Dude, that show is funny as shit, man. It was a place, uh, fuck, I, I want to say it was in Elmhurst, maybe, or maybe it's in like Palos Heights. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was west and like a little bit south of like the Fox River where, mm-hmm. you know, like where I'm more familiar with things. Yeah, sure. And we played that show. It was our 13th show, I happen to remember. Well, well, no. So that couldn't have been on the CD. Never mind. I'm, I'm, I'm talking out of school. That's wrong because we the CD was out before we'd ever played a show. So where the fuck did we get the picture? Kind of what I was wondering, too. I wasn't sure if maybe it was like Broadway's. Thing it that was just... a Broadway's picture. <laughs> I, I think it was a Broadway's picture, and we just fucking faked it. Huh. Hey, I don't know. It's been a long time, but... That's um, really funny. I will point back to we didn't give a fuck about anything at this yeah. time. <laughs> you know, so... <laughs> so um, lest, lest you doubt me. There is a haircut that I need to ask about, and it is on you. And it's a long, you got long hair and a middle part, and you kind of look like a cross between Casey Jones from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles um, and Ziggy from The Wire Season 2. So is that the picture that's like me and Chris... Uh, together and we both have long hair. Oh, 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 right. Um, so that was since I was laying out the record by myself, I picked like the goofiest photos I could find of all three uh-huh. of us. And I was just like, well, I'm not getting out of this alive, you know, like I'll like, there's no way I'm going to like put like a nice picture of me and then put Neil as like an eight year old boy or whatever, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, so I was just like, what's the most embarrassing picture of me? I figured if I made myself look the worst uh-huh. in it, that I could get away with like sort of like clowning the whole thing. But it it, it goes back to the same thing. It was like, fuck that, that picture, I was 17 in that picture. Um, and um, yeah, I just thought it was funny as shit to do. And I mean, like the reviews of this record are like, this drummer looks like he's like nine. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, so we, I, there's also, um, I, 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 I do want to talk though, the cover photo, um, I can see that it's on Sheridan, but where is, is that the Lawrence Arms building that's behind it? Mm, yeah. I mean, in a macro sense, the Lawrence Arms building is right, is right behind it. I'm shooting mm-hmm. West on Lawrence and Sheridan. Um, I never paid much attention to the background of that photo. Yeah. It was like sort of, you know, there was just recently some, um, big article that came out. Uh, I don't remember where it was. You probably remember. It was about like the minimalism of emo album covers. Mm-hmm. It like, it, like, it just came out like yesterday or the day before. And like people like David Anthony are like, you know, uh, I don't really talk it. to him unless we're recording as you were. Yeah, exactly. Goddamn right. But uh, are all excited about it. But that aesthetic was still really pervasive at that time. Mm-hmm. And so I just thought that, like the sign was kind of, it just seemed really lonely to me. Yeah. You know, it was like, 
an invitation from a grandma that doesn't exist, like sort of just like up there. <laughs> and that was what struck me about it. Like it, I, I don't know if the building is actually visible in the background, um, but mm-hmm. it is in the background of that picture. Like, mm-hmm. like I said, in a macroscopic way. Sure. Like that's, that's what's behind that place. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get into it. You go out, you you record with Giampa. How how long did this recording take? I think it was about 11 hours. Jesus. <laughs> so w- one day? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, when we when we did ghost stories, we made sure we had two days. Uh-huh. <laughs> that was learn your one, lesson. One for recording, one for mixing. Yeah. Um <laughs> And, um, yeah, we had, it was like, yeah, we went in at like 10 and then at nine, he's like, I'm cash and you guys are out of money. <laughs> and I was like, okay, could you just give us a, a dat for <laughs> the label? <laughs> How much money did it cost? Mm, I'm really talking out of my ass here. I want to say it was a grand. Yeah. Um, but I can't imagine our budget being less than a grand. I can't imagine Giampa charging more than a grand for a day. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's sort of a little bit Sherlock Holmesian of me to suggest that, but, but yeah. So Evening of Extraordinary Circumstances, which was the first song that you really wrote for the Lawrence Arms, um, I th- I think that this song does really make sense in that um, you know, the idea of the faucet turning on, this is a really good, uh, like calling together, calling together, I think of everything that is there from the beginning and onward. The fact that you're talking about yourself in this, like uh very real, somewhat self-depreciating way, but also like you're finding a lot of profound shit within all of it. This song is, I think, and I mean, I don't know. I don't want to speak for the other dudes, but to me, this song remains the mission statement of this band. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, this is the, like, I'm looking at myself. You know, it's at at the time with, like, all the emo and then what would turn into sort of, like, that pop emo, pop punk, there was a lot of, like, she doesn't like me and 
it's because she's a bitch and she's breaking my heart kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And this song, I feel like, is a lot more like, dude, I'm a, I'm a fuck up. And I guess sometimes I'm okay with this, but I am aware that this is all on me. Yeah, you know, and and like, um, I feel like it just like kind of gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And then the end is like this like sort of sort of small offer of hope, right? Like, uh, you know, <laughs> maybe tomorrow I won't look back on tonight with vomit-soaked regrets. Like, that, <laughs> that's a very low bar, <laughs> you know? And I think that like when, when this song kind of came out of me, um, like I said last week, I was like, oh, this is the kind of band I want to be in. It's like, it's just so much more like real. And it takes that like, you know, I fuck, since we've done this, I've listened to like all sorts of stuff. And it's like, you know, I used to think that February 1 song that I wrote in Slapstick uh-huh. um, was like, I was like, well, that's like one of the best Slapstick songs. And I listen to it now and I'm like, that is the most pompous, shitty dumb like tone deaf song of all time it's like how dare like some 18 year old like speak for like some like 60 year old homeless guy Mm -hmm. you know Uh, and like it and then in the broadways it was like sort of like more of those attempts i mean that was sort of a foundling for what would come in the broadways and i just wasn't able to do that and all of a sudden i was like oh maybe i should sing about how i'm the problem you know a little bit and and like uh and and sort of like come to grips with myself a little bit. And it was really just like refreshing and, um, and cool to me that at the end of it, it could turn around and like have this like low bar, like, Hey, tomorrow, maybe I could try, you know, like, yeah. and then like the sleep well and dream plastic pillows that give way to someplace green was just more of a, nod to how very shitty my apartment was and my bed situation Uh and like and the idea of like being allowed to do a little dreaming even in that sort of like bad space right Mm -hmm. um yeah but i still there's not a lot of songs on this there's a lot of songs on this record i think are actually pretty decent but this one i think is as is as good as any of them like i i really feel strongly about this one that sleep well and dream part is just such a cool change of pace it feels like it it's it doesn't really have like any sort of like punk rock trope or anything like that though it does feel very like um i don't know that just kind of like deliberate uh sort of emo we like slow down part you mm-hmm. know what i'm trying to, you know what i'm trying to say i'm so i'm so bad at describing music at times i feel like that was like sort of the first dip the the toe dip into the pool of Mm. like what will come to define our sound yeah right like this sort of like aggressive like i mean this song's not quite like a hardcore song you Mm -hmm. couldn't say it was a hardcore song but it's not a pop punk song i mean i guess it is technically like in the very macro can I say macro more during mm-hmm. this particular episode, please? <laughs> um, 
in a very broad sense, I would say that it's pop punk, but it's just a punk rock song that has a lot more melody. It's got that kind of like fucking Crimshine 15 thing, but it's like trucking a little faster than that. It's mm-hmm. a little more aggressive than all that. And then, and then when it like kind of like puts like the air brakes on and does that, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's aggression mixed, like nihilistic aggression mixed with like hope and melody. Totally. It's like, it, like, we wouldn't realize that formula like fully for a long time, but mm-hmm. this was, you know, this was the fucking seed that grew the tree or whatever. So it like eventually came around. I love Chris's octave parts. Oh, on this. Oct- oh, they sound so big. Yeah. You know, what's so fuck fucking weird is this is, this marks maybe the only time I wrote that intro octave part. Uh huh. And it doesn't sound how I thought it was going to sound. And I was always like, oh, you're playing the exact right thing. This, like, I did it, like, on my uh, eight track. Uh-huh. And I thought it had this, like, very different sound. I mean, what Chris does, what whether he does what I told him or not, that, I guess, I don't know anymore. But, like, I mean, what he did is dope as shit. I just remember being like, eh. How come? How come I can't fucking translate this? I mean, that's still where we were at, you know. Like there's, mm-hmm. there's like, there's not a lot of, um, from my end at least, like not a lot of like technical skill going on. I was just like, hmm, mm-hmm. I guess maybe I'm playing the wrong bass. I don't know, you know. Um, but <laughs> I think that like where Chris shines in this song is that "Sleep Well and Dream" those backing vocals. Oh like, my god, yeah. It's, it's like that's. That's like what I was thinking of when we were talking earlier about like this. This is not a guy that's like not all in on this. Mm-hmm. Like he's fucking pushing it to mm-hmm. the limits. You know, tomorrow could be better than tonight. Like that shit. Yeah. Like he's he's doing it, man. It's cool. Kevin Costner's Casino. Uh <laughs> is this like a is this a knock on dancing with wolves it is um so man i meant to do the research on this before this happened but then my friend marcus kretzman uh the famous uh 13th century poet uh from, from greatest story ever told came over and uh so i didn't get to um but i read some article that he had bought a majority share in a native American casino. Mm. And I was like, this motherfucker, like, are you seriously cashing in? Like you already cashed in doing dances with wolves. That's already like pretty despicable because it is sort of about like, it's like the white guy and the white woman, they kind mm-hmm. of, thank God they were here, you know, yeah. kind of shit, which is like revolting. And then it's like, oh, and you also own like the lion's share of a casino. Again, I remember reading this article. I was, it was 22 years ago. So I'm not positive that that's actually even true, uh-huh. but but I mean, this was before the internet was like so readily available. It wasn't at my fingertips. I 
read an article and I was like, this motherfucker. And uh, so this was the song that came out of that. Um, it's it's such a funny set of lyrics to to read and to think about like how how things are now and how we have a lot of uh we we're calling out a lot of people for their bullshit and this is such a like it's it's funny because it's one just called Kevin Costner's Casino and you wrote a song about Kevin Costner um something inherently <laughs> that is, funny about that that's very funny yeah <laughs> i watched the um i don't know what it is but i really love his robin hood movie and it's it's not a good movie it's the brian adams song yeah exactly that's thank you i needed that <laughs> but it it does really mix this like really it's it's funny because you know you are pointing something out that i mean talk about talk about people a, a group of people who have been fucking trampled on for so long and who still do not get the full acknowledgement that we continue to fucking trample upon them um and you're also saying like it's no match for consciously stucking stuffing your dick in reservations like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah no this was like sort of like started with that like um the idea of like mixing like the sort of like technical with the crass for lack of a better term and i mean eventually we'd move away from like overt politics like this mm -hmm. but the idea i think you know and i'm kind of like going in reverse here but like it's sort of like this is just how i would talk to you if i was going to talk to you mm -hmm. you you know like uh like like yeah the theoretical oh we fucked over the native americans is really no match for consciously stuffing your dick in like you you know like mm -hmm. and that's i mean if you've listened this far to this podcast you know that's like kind of how i talk you know and right. uh and so there was sort of like an abandonment of like any sort of like the weird as it is buttoned up pretense of the broadways it was like i know everything that's going on and here we go you uh -huh. know this is just like more like yeah, i don't really know what's going on but fuck you actually <laughs> <laughs> you know like yeah i think that there's like there's a lot to be taken from that in just like the way we use our anger and, you know, we uh, I think that you have done a really good job of like saying like, yeah, I'm best at putting these two things together and and sending my vitriol out. And I think that especially like right now when people are trying to figure out like, OK, like what can I do? Um, I'm not saying that everybody should try and like make the uh, best joke about Tucker Carlson's genitals, although if you'd like to shoot one uh out there you can uh but you know like like finding that balance of like all right how can i like feel how can i feel like i'm doing something right but also how can i make it personal so that i can like want to do it better right and i mean i remember that this was just like a i was just so pissed like when i saw that headline and again 
I don't know if that shit's even true. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know? so like that, that, so there's that, but I mean, this would become like a thing where when we finally developed like a small audience, um, once we started playing shows and stuff and our record got around a little, somebody brought us, uh, a huge, like probably like 10 by four foot, banner of the postman which is kevin costner's uh movie oh i heard this sucks and we started using it as a backdrop as like a banner <laughs> like we started we just like duct tape it to the back wall of the fireside bowl there is <laughs> there is a video of us playing in front of that and me and chris are both wearing Catwoman masks <laughs> <laughs> so to go back to your question about how seriously we took this whole thing, uh, that's how seriously we took this whole thing. Extraordinarily. <laughs> the, um, the lyrics on Genius at the end have a parenthesis, and inside the parenthesis it says, Tough Guy 8 Count, which I think is yeah. pretty tight. All right. Title track. A guided tour of Chicago. This is one of my favorite songs on the record, and it always, like, kind of, for some reason, even though it's, like, got that great hook at the end, it always kind of sneaks up on me as being one of um, I think what this song does that's kind of interesting is that, like, in the very first line of the song, when it says, you know... He asked you for a quarter, you look the other mm -hmm. way. It's just such an unexpected melody totally. there, I think. Like, when I hear it now, I'm just like, who <laughs> fucking wrote that shit? You know, it's like, um, it, this one was one that, um, when this record came out, that people would like single out and be like, and there's a song where the guy in this band goes around and introduces you to all the homeless people. In his neighborhood. And, like, uh -huh. all these people are real. These were, like, all the people that lived in Uptown and uh, in Lincoln Park and Boys Town were sort of were my stomping mm -hmm. grounds back in those days. You know? And um, it's weird to talk about, like, homeless people in Lincoln Park now. Yeah. Because it's such a, you know, such a very gentrified, nice neighborhood, whatever you want to say. Old money, too. But, like, you know? these... Yeah, but they're like my my buddy uh kinda grew up in a like nice, like big brownstone mm -hmm. out there and when his dad bought that shit, people were like, Are you out of your mm -hmm. fucking mind buying in that neighborhood? Like, cause it was still even a little weird in Lincoln Park. Not that long like mm -hmm. before I was mm -hmm. a little kid, you know? And even even when I was, it like there just used to be like a much more pervasive like homeless situation on the north side of Chicago. I mean, there's still a pervasive homeless mm -hmm. situation in Chicago, um, but it used to exist in these neighborhoods that uh, where you don't think of that as being a thing mm -hmm. at all these days, you know. And uh, yeah, these this is literally me running down all the fucking people in my neighborhoods, man. Um, and this is also, like, one of those ones where, like, 
this sort of is a bit of like a little Rosetta Stone of what we'd come to do in terms of like, uh, you know, I'm taking like the, was that Mr. Rogers mm -hmm. song and repurposing it as something that's mm -hmm. like very bleak, you know? And so like that, that, uh, that was like, you know, sort of, this might be the inception of like mixing like sort of the pop culture with the, with like the sort of message I was trying to get across, which would eventually become, you know, pop culture mixed with lowbrow shit in order to create a message that you don't have to say mm -hmm. out loud. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, yeah. I, I like this one. I think it's, I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. <laughs> Cause like, it doesn't, it has that, these are the people in your neighborhood, but there's like, there's no real chorus. Um, uh, mm even though there are parts that feel very much like choruses, like, you know, to, the guy who passed out of my alley drank until his life made any sense. That feels like a chorus energy. Right. Sure. Yeah. There's, there's some stuff like that. It, you know, this was still, again, it was the times and it like, I would actually go back to like the, the cover of this and how I was talking about like that, like emo, emo, mm -hmm. excuse me, uh, <laughs> minimalism, um, and how like that sort of informed a lot of things, even though that's not the kind of music we were playing. Um, and also the, the Gilman street bands that didn't like tread in choruses, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, so at this time I was still trying to write songs that didn't have choruses really. You know, and um, mm -hmm. I thought that like the storytelling aspect would shine through. That was those were like the songs I liked the most. And so this was like sort of my, you know, we talk about this all the time on here. Like, what do you want to hear? Like, mm -hmm. make that. Yeah. You know, and so I was doing my best to like make that. But at the same time, I think that my desire to hear like a big hook was still there. You know, and I was just like sort of like trying to try to develop that. It wouldn't come for like two more records or whatever. Yeah, it's interesting to to think because I I think hooks are what I associate with your songs the most now. Sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, I mean it. You know, I, I've said it a million times. The best thing that ever happened to us was that we were not that good when we did this record. So we mm -hmm. had to keep staying hungry and like trying to focus things. And like, once we figured out how to write hooks, it was like, Oh, okay. But we had to learn all this. So let's do that much learning and figure out how to write good hooks. Mm -hmm. And let's do that much learning and figure out how to write like unexpected hooks. Like when we talk about Oh, Calcutta, I mean, I never tried that, but I know I don't like it is a very weird fucking hook yeah. for a song, you know? And like, it, like, and, but it was just like sort of trying to evolve into like, okay, you know, okay, we can write hooks. Now let's subvert the idea of a mm -hmm. hook and make a hook something very strange, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, it's it's sort of like you you spend a lot of time with um, some very like ideological like, no, we like we aren't necessarily anti-hook, but you have to come up through it. 
basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's a lot of like fun examples in in history, especially punk, of people who um, really just like take a long time to get to that point where they just settle on the fact that yo, I just want to write like songs. And then they mm-hmm. do that, and then they get stuck there, which is <laughs> also yeah. Um, I always uh, I have a great association with this song, um, just because of the fact that I totally got uh, I lost forty bucks on uh, three tattered playing cards. On a CTA train on my way to a piebald show. And then I remember talking to Travis outside of the metro and um I and I told him about that. He's like, Oh, come on. You you know better than that. I was like, yeah, I know, but I was so confident. <laughs> yeah. The, those dudes they ride the train with me like almost every day, the three card Monty dudes, and uh They'd sit down and be like, want to play? I'm like, I know you. Uh-huh. They'd be like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's so, it's so funny. It's like y- you're seeing yourself get caught and mm-hmm. you just do it. Yeah, I mean, it's like, yeah, what, what could go wrong? These dudes that have nothing better to do <laughs> than play fucking three-card Monty on the L – I'm sure everything's above yeah. the board here. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I can see what they're doing. I can, no, I, I got it. I got this. They, <laughs> um, take one down and pass it around. Uh, these are the people in your neighborhood. This is this is another Mister Rogers song that you're that you're working with here, right? A uh, hundred bottles of beer on the wall. Yeah. You mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's more of like a traditional drinking song. It's uh. <laughs> What how's it go? It's like one hundred bottles of beer on the wall. One hundred bottles of beer. I was joking. Take one down, pass it around. Yeah. Ninety nine bottles of beer on the wall. I thought that was Mr. Rogers. I thought you said yeah, both well, of these I maybe I misunderstood. <laughs> Understanding things is not my strong suit, <laughs> Tim. Um but uh yeah, this is another one where it's like it's sort of that, like, uh, sort of like um, fish fish walking out of the fish walking out of the ocean on its two feet version of what we would go on to do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like take this song that's like kind of fun and like we used to sing it in music class and like repurpose it as this like very sad uh, <laughs> sort of ode to like completely giving up um this song is actually written about leaving las vegas the nick cage elizabeth shoe film Mm -hmm. um you know in the first couple scenes he when he goes to vegas he gets a prostitute and she sucks the wedding ring off his finger Mm -hmm. you know and that's like the ring sucked from a finger, a desert that sucks dreams or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, I always thought it would, like, sand under grass, under fountains, under trees is, uh, like, <laughs> I, 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 I was, like, pretty pleased with that mm-hmm. uh, when I wrote it because it's, like, that's 
<laughs> what it is. It's just when you lay it out like that, it's like Jesus fucking Christ. What are you gonna slap on here next? A pyramid? <laughs> oh wait, okay, you did that. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> um, but yeah, so yeah, this song is about Las Vegas, and um, and, and more specifically about um leaving las vegas the song uh not the song <laughs> the movie you know what my favorite part of that movie is when he says it's time to leave las vegas <laughs> that is that is great my favorite part of that movie there's two. First is his like showcase showdown uh buying all the booze at the very beginning mm-hmm. like with his like shopping cart when he's just like i'm going to die let's do this mm-hmm. boom 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 and then when he goes to the bank and he can't sign the check because his hands are shaking too bad, and then he comes back and uh, he goes, signs, he goes, steady as a fucking rock, excuse my French. <laughs> that shit is great. Me and Chris used to like get a 30-pack and sit down and watch Leaving Las Vegas like all the really? time. We were just like, this is, this is a great, fun drinking movie. Turns out uh, that does not hold up as you get a little bit older. Uh, <laughs> sort of becomes a little more of a cautionary tale. Um, you remember that Mr. Show gag where the it's the guy who uh, he says he did all the titular lines in in the movies, and he's talking about his line that got cut where he says, "There's a Star Wars." <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually don't remember that which is a bummer because that's gone on to become like such a twitter meme thing right where it's like you know like watching john wick with my date quote that's john wick <laughs> you know <laughs> like, that, like that, that kind of shit i don't really make those jokes on twitter at better yet pod um you would know that if you followed me like you said you were going to well i think it's about time somebody somebody paid the money yeah so i think i think um that month is almost is almost up it's time for me to it's time for me to follow you and then uh mute you immediately no, you're to <sighs> someday we're all gonna weigh four hundred pounds. Not me. <laughs> Not me. Actually I'm getting a gut. It's weird. Um welcome to your thirties. Um and COVID. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> um this is a this is a song that I um I think is it it falls into what you're saying about um the the legs the fish the evolution you're getting mm-hmm. there there's a lot going on here and it's like it's like an essay that uh that gets turned in where it's like all right sharpen this up yeah um neil uh selected the title for this song because mm. ne- neil's idea I was like, I don't know what to call this. He's like, what? Well, it's, it's like one day we're all going to be 400 pounds. I'm like, that's it. Say no more. That's perfect. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's what's really funny about this song is the way that um, technology has sort of moved so fast since then. Mm-hmm. That these, like, so many of the, like, 
sort of devices that I like quick list on this are completely superfluous at this point. Like, you know, your pager, yeah. uh, like even just like calling something a mobile phone, uh, you know, like, uh, um, did you have a cell phone at this point? I know that you were an early uh, adopter. I was, no, this was still before oh, okay. cell phone yeah, for yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, but yeah, I, I find that, you know, there's something about fax machines mm-hmm. and like, even like the idea of a hard drive is a little bit antiquated at this point, you know, totally. like where you can do things in a cloud or whatever. But, um, I think that the sentiment here is still remarkably prescient, um, which is basically the end of Wally. Oh know? yeah. <laughs> like it's, a, that's what this song is about. I like down to the 400 pounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> like, so, uh you know we maybe did it first but i think pixar in a rare turn of events did a little better um you know we'll give them this one i suppose are you recording i am awesome awesome so glad to hear that uh (laughs) um north side the lnl and any number of crappy apartments for me, um, you know, if I'm if I'm putting together uh, a greatest hits, I think I'd title it something like uh, "We Are the Champions." Brendan is my best friend. So is Chris and Neil. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And oh, so is Kyle Kinane. He was on our Patreon uh, this week. Did we mention that at the top of the show? We did not mention that at the top mm. of the show. But yeah, if you want to uh, hear Kyle Kinane. Um, and us rip it up, uh, or cut it up, whatever. I don't know what they so say the pain goes anymore. That's dude. Yeah. Uh, yeah. but, um, yeah, we're on, uh, he's, he's on our Patreon this, uh, this week and it's, it's very exciting. Such a funny dude. Um, I was glad that I could bring him in, get him to hang out with, uh, with me. I mean, I never really have to try too hard to hang out with Kyle. Um, right. but. Yeah, that was that was cool to bring uh, two homies together. Um, yeah, thank you for introducing. Yeah, us. dude, no problem at all. Um, so this is the song that if I if I'm putting a if I'm putting a proper retrospective, the guided tour of Chicago song that goes on to that is most certainly this one. Yeah, this is a this is an interesting one because. It was written near the end of the whole writing this album time. And I had like the first verse and the chorus. And I was just like, I can't do anything with this. And I was like, Chris, I don't know if you want to do anything with this, but like, I can't do anything with it. And he's like, I'll check it out. And then he put in that second verse. And, uh, you know, obviously the whole thing came together really fast and, at that, at that point. And that was like sort of this marks like the first chapter of like, what would be like what's weirdly what our band is about, but also we almost never do this. Mm -hmm. We almost never like split verses and stuff like that. You know, um, I don't think we would do it again until Metropole, the song. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And uh, but this was a this was a big point in terms of like uh, us like really coagulating as a team, um, and it being like, oh yeah, we're all kind of like ride or die for this at this point. And what's weird is just last year we were going through this for the war on Christmas. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wait, what are you playing? And I think I've been playing this song wrong in the second (laughs) verse for fucking 22 years, man. (laughs) But, uh, what were you playing? Isn't it, isn't it this? Uh huh. And he's like, no, no heavens. No. Uh I'm like, well, that's, Definitely what I play on the record and have played every time, like of the hundreds of times we've played this song since, that's what I've been playing. He's like, yeah, it's not that. I don't know. <laughs> so there you go. Get in a band with me if you want to go play. <laughs> <laughs> um, your, uh, your words on here feel like a hangover. Yeah, this is about... Um, just a night that me and Matt from the Alkaline Trio were like up all night and we were like sitting at a diner in the morning and it was like the living were among us, you know, mm-hmm. like we were, we were still awake and, and then he's like, I can't wait for this fucking food. I'm going to get a Lotes. And I'm like, wait, but we just ordered food. And he's like, the Lotte guy's right there. <laughs> and he just like ran out and got an Lotte and like brought it back in and, and it, um, so that's the elotes from a street cart. Too much beer for time or whatever. It says that's what that's about, which I think is it's a pretty fun little tidbit. Where was the diner? Um, it was well, Matt used to live over on like like kind of by Augusta and uh, you know, it was a, a like little west and, and western, right? Is it the trio house? Uh, yeah, mm. yeah. No, it, was, it wasn't that far west, it, but it was uh, Ashland. I'm uh, sorry. Think, yeah, it was more like yeah, like Windsor or something like that. Um, I think it was Windsor. David and I walked over there uh, not too long ago. Although it feels like forever ago, but it's just like a little pilgrimage because he lives close by and I'm close by it now at this point, too. But so and you were living in that house for a time, correct? Yeah. Um, well, me and the woman I was actually engaged to had broken up and uh, I couldn't stay at my apartment anymore uh-huh. because I was just like too depressing. And she moved out. I believe maybe to move in with another dude, um, which was cool. Yeah. Uh, and, and then, uh, and so I just started staying with Matt, um, just like on, on his couch. I mean, I wasn't like a proper roommate, but mm-hmm. I was there all the time mm-hmm. and for qu- quite a while. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I was, we, we lived together for a while, but it was more like me being like, I have nowhere to go. I'm going to have to stay with you. Yeah. And him being very, very gracious about it. Um, phone calls that never should be made. Um, 
were there particular phone calls that uh, were in your head when you were writing that? Mm, I think it was just about sort of like calling drug dealers and stuff like that, you know, just uh-huh. like keeping up this sort of fucking gross illusion that everything was fine, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't think there's too much more to add than that. But uh, that was uh, no. I mean, that's a good bit of insight because I just assumed that it was drunk calls. Yeah, no, no. It's more like, hey, it's morning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, should uh, maybe go to bed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, like, where will you be in ten years? Um, did that come from any particular? particular conversation it's an interesting place for this song to go um though it doesn't feel like it's um it doesn't feel like it's going there until you bring it there you know what i mean sure i think the whole thing was like this is just such a mess it's like like is this is this the rest of your life Uh uh-huh you know like and the beginning of it's like sort of, I mean, it's a little bit of a bait and switch because it's like not quite like romanticized, but it's not like, it's not like even an extraordinary circumstance where it's like, I am a piece of shit, you know, mm-hmm. like starting from the very first line. And so mm-hmm. all of a sudden it's just like, yeah, this is okay now, but like, are we going to keep this up? Seriously? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, that's 23 years old for sure. Yeah. Being an, being an adult. So, um, so you had this open space. Did you just, uh, did you just pitch to Chris like, Hey, this would be cool. I had it up to, this is the part where you don't say right here. Uh And I was like, I can't get past this. I don't know what comes after this. And, um, he was like, well, let me fuck with it. And then he put his part on it. And then it was like, oh, well, let's use this chord progression that I still don't know what it is, obviously, <laughs> for like this sort of like breakdown. And then we'll just do the chorus thing at the end. Like, I didn't know if that was, I didn't know if that chorus was like strong enough to repeat mm-hmm. at the time. I felt like it was just like really muscly. And, you know, again, we weren't really treading in choruses at this point. Mm-hmm. So it felt a little cheap to me to like go back to it. But when he did it as like sort of like the response or whatever, all of a sudden I was like, oh, okay, like that'll work. And then, you know, we had an outro and then I do, uh, I mean, shit, I wish Chris sang on this whole record. (laughs) You know, that would have been, that would have been better. Dude, it's such a good vocal performance. Like he like really, really holds it. And his word economy here is fantastic. It's a great balance. Yeah, no, he does. He does a great job. And I think, I think the success of this part is, you know, has a lot to do with just like the way our trajectory would go forth Mm -hmm. from here on, you know? Um, And uh, yeah, really glad that he decided to write this part. (laughs) The North Side and more so the LNL, um, I think became just part of 
the myth of this band. And I know that wasn't by design, but no, yeah. The um, so my friend Dave used to work at the North Side, and my friend Scott, who is the drummer of Sweeps Like Johnny, oh, well, older brother mm-hmm. of my friend Peter, who is in Slapstick. Um, they both used to bartend at um, the North Side. And when I was staying with Matt, he would get up early to go bike messaging, and I would just kind of wake up and get out of his house at the same time. So I'd sit outside the north side mm-hmm. and wait for Dave or Scott to open the place up so I could go in and drink uh, at a discount, you mm-hmm. know. And um, and because I was also like in a very like depressed state um, at the time because I'd just broken up with my old lady, and um, and then. The L and L was sort of the place. The L and L was the first bar that I ever went to uh, as a twenty-one year old. Mm-hmm. Um, it was between my my job, which is a record store, and my house. And um, from that day, I sort of started going in there every day. And then, as our band became more and more popular, it sort of started becoming this like punk rock bar. When I started going in there, it was an old man bar, mm-hmm. and like it was sort of like ostensibly a theater people bar you know but the theater people were like the people in the theater company that like smoked crack you know Mm. and uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) stuff like that and uh so it was it was always kind of a dive and we uh we started hanging out there we were just hanging out there every day and next thing you know it's a sort of like a punk rock destination i mean Mm -hmm. even before our band was worthy of hosting a punk rock destination. Mm-hmm. It just became this place. It was like, Oh, it was that one shitty band. That's friends with the alkali trio. They always hang out here. That must be a punk rock bar, <laughs> you know? And it's sort of like the prophecy fulfilled itself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know? And, um, so yeah, that was, a, the LNL was a huge part of our whole thing for a long time. And the North side was, at least for me, I ended up working at the North Side for a couple of years as well mm-hmm. as a bartender. Um, is that on? Wait, wait, where's nor- the North Side? Is that? It's on Damon, just north of North. Ave. Okay, okay. I used to work. Um, I can't believe I never connected that. I used to work like pretty much across the street. But yeah, that's that North Side. It's right on the corner. It's got mm-hmm. the sign on the. Jesus, yeah. How, how how can one be so dense? Well, you know, I forgive you. Thanks, dude. Um, yeah, there's having been in the L and L. I I just tie it to so much of your aesthetic that really came out um, on butt, sweat, and tears, and really came out in the wandering birds of that type of romanticized feeling of the crappiest bar. Yeah. um, And it is, it's the crappiest bar, but it's our crappiest bar. You know what I mean? Uh, And like, Mm -hmm. I don't really go to the LNL anymore. I mean, I don't go to any bars anymore now, Um, but um, it had no taps um, and it was, and like people would just be mean as shit to you if you went in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, like there's no reason to enjoy it unless you were just like, I'd like to be in this like guttural 
like in the shit, you know, like I want to be with these old people that shit their pants at the bar and then just sit in it and make the entire bar stink, which is a thing that used to happen. Mm-hmm. Quite, like the big guy in the camouflage used to shit his pants. This woman named Molly, who always had two drinks, she used to shit her pants. Uh, uh, <laughs> um, wow. uh, we, we'd always heard the rumors that Molly had like a dead husband. And so she always ordered a drink for him and a drink for her. And mm. we always thought that was very romantic. And then mm-hmm. we finally befriended the bartender, Joyce, who's a very dear friend of ours now. And uh, she was like, well, I asked Molly about that. That's not true at all. And I was like, Joyce, what the fuck? Uh, <laughs> so. You sit there long enough, someone's going to make up a story about you. I guess that's true. Um. How much was an old old style at the L&L in 1999? Mm, I think an old style was 250 but a PBR was 150. Mm. Very nice. Um smokestacks. This is one that um that kind of gets lost, I think. Um I think the previous track is a tough one to follow, but I like that's this it, one a lot. That's interesting. I think of this as like one of the stronger songs in this record. Um, this is one that will like, if we're like have to break out a song from this record, this one's pretty fun to play still. And I think it like, uh, I think it holds up. One thing that's really funny is like, there's a line in it that says something like, Dodging people and buildings, advertisements, eye contact, and cars. Mm-hmm. And Neil was like, I just don't understand how you sing that right there. It, it's too many syllables. And I'm like, I don't know. And he's like, I hear it, but I don't know how you sing that. It doesn't make any sense. And it was only like, literally maybe like, Three weeks ago, I, when I went back and listened to it for this, that I realized that what I say is "icon tanned cars," but it sounds like I say both words. <laughs> so that's how um, you do it. Yeah, that, you don't I, actually I just do it. straight up not making it a word that doesn't exist. Icon <laughs> uh, <I> tanned. <laughs> uh, where does the megaphone man? Uh... Come up. Was there was there an actual megaphone man? I I love the megaphone man as just the standing like end times yeah. dude. Sandwich board end times dude. That's exactly mm-hmm. what it is. It's not like a real guy um at all. This was just you know, like I've got this sort of philosophy uh that I will espouse to anyone and I think we all need to hear it right now, particularly which is like ever since like the first generation of sentient human beings everybody's been like oh, the world's ending you know mm-hmm. like, the end is nigh or whatever and it's like it never does and it's like do you really think do you really think that we are that fortunate that the world ends on us mm-hmm. like you gotta be fucking out of your mind like i don't know if you've seen our luck but it's fucking terrible <laughs> we've got fucking riots in the street we've got covid i mean like you know uh like it, the world's not ending on us like you and me might die but then it will go on and it might suck 
that's been a thing that's been going on forever. Mm-hmm. But like the world's going to end with us. Mm-hmm. That's the best way out of this fucking thing that there could possibly be because you don't miss anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? You get you get the entire compendium of history, which you have in your fucking phone, so you can look at it as much or as little as you like to understand what other human beings did before you. And then the fucking world ends, and you're like, okay, I missed nothing. It's great. <laughs> We're not that lucky. And not that lucky. That, that's sort of what this song is about a little bit. This is a very primordial version of that. Mm-hmm. No one wants to die alone, but we all do. Uh, and also you got to fucking clean up the planet cause there's people coming after you. I think that's what it is. That's what it is, is that they, they don't want to reckon with the fact that they're, that they're destroying the planet cause they don't give a fuck about what comes after them. Well, yeah. I mean, everybody's got like that sort of myopia at a certain point too. Like, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, no matter how much you fucking give a shit about your kids or whatever there's a certain i think there's like a hamstrung genetic mortality code that is in you that sort of there's nurturing and then there's like really consciously being like i'm going to do something and with people that have like the ability to I mean, I don't know. I say this as somebody who tries to be, like, live a responsible life. Like, I'm drinking water out of a can right now instead of out of a bottle, you mm-hmm. know? Um, uh, <laughs> good for me. And, and uh, like, you know, like, I love my kids and I want to provide the best world possible for them. But it's like, if I'm lazy, am I going to drive to Taco Bell? Yes, I am. And it's like, that's it's all that, like, sort of complicity in, like, a sort of, like, micro sense that, like, is is based in a selfishness and a myopia that is of your own mortality mm-hmm. you know like i think like we can look at the goalpost and be like that is before the sea <laughs> you know yeah. I don't know how many generations could do that you know but until you look at the goalpost and the goalpost is floating uh there's not going to be any change. Like, it's just not going to happen. Like mm-hmm. people aren't wired that way, you know? And it's like, mm-hmm. there are like, it, I admire people that take on those fucking causes. I mean, like, again, I try to live my life the right way and everything, but it's like, there's going to be no change until. And I know it's fucking ridiculous to talk about climate change and say until there's eminent doom because there is eminent doom mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. But there's going to have to be like fucking the Huns in their boats coming to shore, you know, with their swords out before anybody does jack shit, really. Mm-hmm. And, you know, till then we could do the best we can, but it's like. I don't fucking run the steel mill, dude. Like, I, I, I can only do so much. Totally. I guess, um, you know, one of the things that I've been thinking about in listening to this record and, and thinking about um, the way it is, it, it it's topical in a way that I think transfers really well into 
current times. Um, you know, even the even things like the pager, which doesn't mm-hmm. the sentiment is there. Um, but Chicago in 1999 is the setting of this record it's the name of this record um i guess when you're when you're talking about all of this new shit that's all over the place um you're also taking in a you're taking in portions of a city that is just sort of standing and not being tended to sure yeah i yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. It's like in uh, there was definitely a change that happened in what like two thousand two thousand one, where Chicago started like getting cracked, like started cracking down on the homeless, started um, you know um, like putting up all sorts of like very ugly um, sort of townhouses that now are like synonymous with what, what Chicago looks like, and at the time mm-hmm. we were like. Holy fucking shit. But yeah, it was like a untended to city. Um, I don't know how much I feel like that is necessarily relevant to this song beyond the general notion that like these people are just like pumping sludge into our air and like here I am mm-hmm. sitting here and I, I got no choice but to breathe it. Yeah, you know, totally. like, like, I, I don't think that I had like enough sort of acumen to be like, uh, oh, yeah, this, this is about my decaying city. It was more like, this is about our like decaying society. I mean, there's like a lot of technophobia going on on this record. And, uh, you know, for better or for worse, that's sort of kind of a bit defining. Yeah, totally. Um, it's such a it's such an interesting time I think in um in the way technology is moving like I remember 1998 when we got the internet for the first time like yeah I remember Errol's internet and uh Lycos and shit like that it was all like it, I don't know it was it was moving but it was also like so outdated and piecemeal Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I got my first um email address like probably right around the time we were writing this record. Mm-hmm. You know, I had to for well no, I got a I guess a couple years before because for uh at my school they were like, if you're not doing email, then you shouldn't be here. I was like, Oh, <laughs> well fuck. Okay. Cause email it is. Good thing you learned Photoshop, though. That's pretty ahead of the curve. Yeah, well, it, I did. <laughs> I learned it very well, as you can tell. Um, and, and, like, I did manage to nail down the, um, well, I don't even want to say that. Never mind. Um, I was going to say I nailed down the Lawrence Arms at Hotmail mm-hmm. um, address because I decided on the band name before we were banned, but... I don't want to say that because fuck. I don't want a bunch of motherfuckers emailing me. Uh, <laughs> I hate to break it to you, but you already have said that email address and it has passed through our uh, vetting system. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, 
Please cut this part out anyway, because for fuck's sakes, now that I've said I don't want people emailing me, that's like <laughs> talking to Kyle and being like, don't throw bottles at me. Uh-huh. Like, oh, let's go get some bottles to throw at this guy. <laughs> <laughs> Detention. I lo- Dude, I love this song so much. Um, it's like, it's one of those songs that it it comes in late. I feel like it's almost out of place in here. Um, because it feels like it should be a Broadway song and it also has an energy to it that is, um, even though the story like sucks, um, it's so like youthful and the, I'm never going back to school again part. It's, this is to me like a really good, like late album, uh, high energy track that comes in and, and leaves. This was about a dream I had. Um, that was very disturbing Mm. and it was like, I was back in school and we were all locked in the gymnasium. There was some, something going on, like maybe, um, I think I was actually reading the book white noise at the time by Don DeLillo. Yo, hell yeah. And I feel like there was, oh, we could talk about that all day. Patreon. Um, yeah. Um, the, um, and I feel like there was something like an airborne toxic event going on and we were totally. all trapped inside this gymnasium in my mm-hmm. dream. And all of a sudden it's just like deteriorated into like fucking Lord of the flies and like people like beating other people to death with fucking baseball bats and shit. And like, and I, and I was like watching people like eat each other's flesh and I was just like, holy fucking shit, holy fucking shit. And I mean, nothing is lamer than talking about your dreams. It's like, ooh, cool. That's so that didn't happen, right? <laughs> but yeah. uh, but th- this is uh, this was the inspiration for this song. And then I woke up and I remember waking up and being like, <gasps> and I was mm. so scared. And I was like, okay, I'm never going back to school again, <laughs> you know. Uh, and and so then I just got up and I wrote the fucking song. Amazing, um, amazing. You did manage to tell a, a good story about a dream. Um, without it being like, cause you were like you, but you weren't really you. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a bad, <laughs> that's a bad version of that. Basically, if it's like somebody that you really would love to fuck, that's like, I dreamed about you last night. That's a story that you listen to, uh, <laughs> you know, and then you, mm-hmm. you imply to yourself, like, this isn't actually the dream. I know what the dream actually was. Yo, but, uh, but yeah, for the most part, no dreams. Tell people about dreams. Nonsense. All right. I'm going to pitch one. And if it doesn't work, I'm walking with, uh, someone I knew from high school. We're walking, uh, on pretty much a dirt road to hockey practice. We see a pickup truck coming and, I think to myself, oh, Macho Man Randy Savage, he'll give us a ride home. And he uh, pulls over, Macho Man Randy Savage, just driving around in his little pickup truck like he does all mm-hmm. through town. Everybody knows him. And uh, and I said, hey, um, do you think you could give me and my friend a ride? And he said, sure, Tim. Does your friend know the rule of riding in the truck? And the rule, which I knew, was that you couldn't tell 
Macho Man Randy Savage that he was dead. <laughs> okay. No, it's pretty good. Um, that's really <laughs> fucked up. Um, I really didn't expect that to go well. I got to be honest. Um, I'm I'm very used to bad dreams. Um, it, they're, they're just, yeah, they're not fun to listen to, but that's good. Um, that's like a more of a short story than anything else. I woke up right like when he asked me and I knew the rule and then thought and then boom, just Tommy Lee Jones, the end of No Country for Old Men. Then I woke up. Yeah. Uptown Free Radio. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing this is a reference to the Uptown neighborhood of Chicago, Illinois. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the building called the Lawrence Arms where we used to live mm-hmm. is about a block and a half away from the Aragon Theater, which is about a 5,000 person venue in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And um, it doesn't have shows all the time because obviously that's a big venue and like those size of acts don't just like come through every day. Um, but it would have shows like a couple times a month. And when it did, we could sit on our porch before they tore down the porches because they were rotten and mm. we could no longer take down our trash. We had to put all our trash in a room in our house for months. And then <laughs> Marcus was like, I want to come live here. We were like, you can live in the trash room for free if you get rid of all the trash. <laughs> so he did. Uh, but, but, um, we, we could sit out and like listen to whatever was going on at um Aragon mm-hmm. and and um Uptown has a very fucking weird and storied history um without going into it too much like a lot of um uh western Pennsylvania coal mining towns like went out of business and they just took a bunch of greyhounds drove them to Uptown for whatever reason and dropped all these like kind of hillbillies off and and they started doing like I mean, there was people that we could see when we lived there who had, like, fucking chickens on their porch and shit. Mm-hmm. And there was, like, all these, like, fucking weird, like, shitty honky-tonks everywhere and stuff. But also, that was around the same time that they sort of defederalized um, sort of mental health facilities. Mm-hmm. We've we've talked about this. Yeah, think, on yeah here we talked before. about the same kind and, of stories. Yeah, and so there's a lot of, like, fucking uh, people with mental challenges walking around and as well, a lot of just elderly people, Mm -hmm. um, you know, who were being taken care of for like, you know, rote elderliness to severe dementia or whatever there is. And, uh, and so this song, I was like, was me thinking about like when the Aragon has a show, and like all these old people that are like completely alone and displaced and like completely lost, like this music comes on and it's like, holy shit. Like this is, this is why I do it. You know, like they could just like listen to this music and Mm -hmm. fucking, you know, like the last line, it's like the music turns alone into home. Right. And it's just like, just the idea of like, sort of like a, 
the tiniest morsel for the saddest human being. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, I don't know. Um, this one I feel like is, I really like how this song fucking takes off and everything. And mm-hmm. I, if it wasn't for like the fucking weird, like, zoop, songs over, like this could be my song of this record. Yeah. But the ending is just so fucking lazy. And I, I just like, I couldn't figure out what to do after that though. Uh-huh. Like, I just felt like I built it to like, as good as I could write a song, you know, alone, 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 into home and, um, but in tune, well, <laughs> in slightly better tune, but, uh, I just didn't know what to do after that. And it's, I still don't know what I would do after that Yeah, to, to this day, but yeah, I like this one. I think that the sentiment is really like, you know. To to go back to your like Broadway's thing, no, this one is really the germ uh, <laughs> of what we of what we were doing. You know, I mean, this whole record is obviously like an exploration of what we could possibly pull off. Yeah, and this is like one of the songs that I think, while probably rightfully so, overlooked on this record, uh, packs a lot more of like an emotional punch to me, mm-hmm. and um. And is a lot more, um, of a direction signal as to where we would end up going. There's a lot more sure. humility and, um, uh, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? When you like other people, uh, <laughs> <laughs> humanism, that, that shit. Well, humanism. Yeah. Yeah, humanism works. Yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, I, I. That's a great story that you just told. Um, and I am uh, really thankful that I got to hear it. It's, um, it's also interesting. Um, thinking about this song and thinking about the North Side and thinking about the times that we've talked about your fifteen-minute process. Mm-hmm. And here we have two songs where you're um, you're stuck, and in one case you have Chris help you out, and in this one you kind of just say like, "Yeah, all right, close enough." Um, do do things like that influence the like if I can't finish it quickly? Well, I didn't come into the like fucking fifteen minute process idea for many many years. Mm-hmm after this you know Mm -hmm. um it was halfway through greatest story that i started with that shit Mm. um so at this time i would slave as long as i could on a song but there's a certain point also where i knew i couldn't do anymore you know so Mm -hmm. this this wasn't like beholden to any sort of like arbitrary rule it was just more that um I I was sort of out of ideas for this. And like, I think I sort of built it up to a climax. It didn't have a chorus. I mean, Mm -hmm. really ultimately that there's your problem with this song. It's got no chorus. Mm -hmm. And so I couldn't like circle back and like really like knock it out of the park or whatever, you know, instead it's just like verse, verse, 
bridge, well, verse, verse, uh, instrumental part, bridge, outro. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like once you get to the outro, I, I don't think that's the wrong way to end the song. I just don't think it's the song should have ended so quickly. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, 18 inches. Also, um, this is, this is a really, really good, uh, closer of this record. It's a bizarrely offbeat track for the track listing on this thing. Mm -hmm. Um, everything else is like, it's just like a short, like sort of like speedy blast of like anger. Mm -hmm. And this is very introspective. It's like three, four or whatever. And, and it's like, there's a lot of ambient space in it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's about the perfect size of penis, um, which is unusual. Uh, (laughs) but, uh, but it's something we'd come back and revisit, um, several times throughout our catalog with songs like a foot and a half (laughs) and, um, Ooh, I feel that in my kidneys. You know, the, the, you remember those tracks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Um, Half of a yard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, this song is obviously, I'm joking. The The title refers to a very brutal snowfall that had occurred, you know, I, I guess during the time that I was writing this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and it was sort of just about how, like, living in Chicago, it's like, why do we do this? Like, this sucks ass, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And it's like, and it's, and it's like, um, if you can't even make the decision to get out of this like horrifically oppressive weather system, like, how are you ever going to fix anything about yourself? I think is sort of like the underlying theme here uh-huh. you know and uh and yeah I, I love what chris does with the guitars in this i love like all the ambient space that we mm-hmm. somehow made i think it's this is definitely one of our last nods to the 90s emo scene mm-hmm. and this very much could have been like a yeah. a song by a band that like opened up for fucking I don't know like calibrated calculators or whatever the fuck <laughs> you know back in those days it's <laughs> a really really good uh <laughs> you you continue to surprise <laughs> somehow oh my god um yeah, there's I think that this song hits on a bleakness that exists really really uh heavily on this record and on ghost stories. Yeah, I mean this this song is very bleak. It does not really offer much in the way of hope. This is like proto nihilism or whatever um I think, I mean, the very end is like, you know, if the first song is like sleep well and dream mm-hmm. and the last, and the last line of this song is 
my dreams melted into dirty puddles on the ground. You know, it's, it's the entire gamut. I mean, like, you know, as I said, in like, maybe it was the Patreon, maybe it was last week. Oh, you know, I didn't even mention, fuck. Okay. The one day we're all going to weigh 400 pounds. The intro for that Mm -hmm. is an old Mussolini fight song. Whoa. The girls, they don't love us anymore now because we wear black shirts and took a new vow. That's like the black shirts fucking fight song. Holy shit. And it's just about like um, adhering to the new fucking modern style, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, you know, it's like, yeah, we're, we're early adopters. How about it? Yeah. You know? and, like, and uh, it's so like, I, there's so much more of that stuff on this record mm-hmm. that is like, you know, I feel is sort of set aside because it just seems like such a fucking caveman record, um, you know, in a lot of ways, which is fair. Um, but, you know, to get back to 18 inches, sorry, I didn't mean to like. Patreon.com slash better sandwich. We'll do We'll do a line by line. Goddamn right. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah. So, I don't remember what I was fucking talking about, goddammit. Bleak. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, what I was saying is, like, this starts out with good dreams, and it ends with the dreams dying. Mm -hmm. You know? And that wasn't, like, a fully... That was a fully thought-out narrative when it came to writing this record. Like, I'd be very disingenuous to be like, yep, the first song is about falling asleep, and the last song is about waking up and finding out that all your dreams are dead. Mm. But... I think that it did coincidentally come together that way. And it's, it's really interesting. It's like, Oh, look, you can rage against all these things. Uh, not going to do anything for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, like, um, but there is a little more duality into this whole thing than I think this record gets credit for. And again, with good reason I think this record's objective is to be listenable and it's at times not. You know, so the like the intentionality of it doesn't make a goddamn lick of difference. But mm-hmm. if you if you're like if you're like a for fans only type person, you could really fucking comb through this and find a lot of like I think interesting little nugs. You know, it's it's interesting the relationship that you have with this record because I I think that you. You really have I, I think publicly haven't given it much credit um, ever, and mm-hmm. I I know that that's got a lot of attachment to the Sonics in here, but there's there's something that you're saying that like feels surprising to you, um, but it's also like yeah it feels surprising to you because you you like to tell everybody that it's not very good <laughs> well yeah i mean but <laughs> for every single time i've told anybody that this record's not very good i have heard like 20 times that this record's not very good mm. uh, so, so like i you know i i get it and i mean i and i don't i I actually kind of like relish that shit, man. It's like, it's like, that's great. That's what like kept us hungry to do other things and to like, 
move on and take like the experiments we did here and like put them into new beakers and fucking mix them with new compounds and stuff like that and see what we could fuck come up with because you know if we'd put out this record and everybody had been like oh this record's perfect it's great um then we would be one of those bands that's like the same age as us that's been like trying to like fucking chase the dragon for 20 years Mm -hmm. and come out with like the magic that we did 20 years ago but for us that magic would be this fucking dog shit record you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) This, this would be the best thing that we ever did you know and and thank god that uh that wasn't the fucking case you know because mm-hmm. it's like pushed us i think to exploring things that i think are genuinely interesting and, and cool and i mean i think there's a lot of genuinely interesting and cool stuff on here i think um i think it's holds up uh i think it's just as like pretty good now mm-hmm. as it was fucking 21 years ago or whatever but like uh yeah no i'm glad this record got shat on mm-hmm. because it gave us like a fire to like fucking do something else and i'm glad ghost stories got shat on too and i'm glad apathy got shat on and i'm glad great story got shat on because i think that they're all valid entries in our catalog mm-hmm. you know and um i like them all but it's fucking nice to have something to to have asses to stuff the next thing up you know yeah <laughs> so to speak yo if you're if you're working to stick it to someone you're working hard um so there there's a question that has been on uh in the back of my mind throughout this and i think that we can um we, I, I think that I can ask it and also ask it without um, it seeming like I'm um, creating a binary for um, for the paths because, as you know, I love the Alkaline Trio and they are also the prime example of the first thing was fucking great. And they managed to... They managed to take that energy and add to it because I think mm-hmm. that their releases th- – I think that God Damn It is in the top five, but I don't think it's in the top three for Alkaline Trio releases. Um, mm-hmm. But you also referred to – I mean, these are your friends. You also referred to the Lawrence Arms as uh, Alkaline Trio's uh, little brother band. Um I guess like um have I guess how have you had conversations with Matt and Dan about this exact thing? Oh, never. No. No. Um the like I li- I like what they do. Um I think they pretend to have listened to what i do uh and uh and i think that's about as far as it goes i mean like i don't like need to bring business into fucking pleasure man like Mm -hmm. you know there's there's nothing i care about less than like what a friend of mine thinks of my art i'd rather know what they think about me as a guy and like and so i would like think it's only um 
the only move you have to extend that courtesy the other way. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, like I'll hit those guys up when they do something that I think is great. And I'll be like, yo, that's great. But that's it. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. there's there's like, it doesn't fucking, it doesn't fucking matter, man. It's like, uh, you know, I love those guys. I think they're a great band. And, um, that's, that's pretty much it. I mean, like, Mm -hmm. are we like a vastly, vastly, vastly cooler band? Of course. But that's not their fault, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's nobody's fault. I, uh, I'm, I'm glad that I asked that. I, I'm glad that you responded the way that you did because I think that when – I think music fans, um, you know, when they think about uh, bands who are friends with each other, it has to exist based on uh, the musical connection. Like even, you know, it, it, but that never works. It never works like that. No, there's nobody I like just because I like their music. And no, it's like, you gotta just be a fucking human being. That's, that's Mm -hmm. seriously the bottom line, Mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, it, it really nothing to quote my favorite band of dudes that I would not like if their music wasn't so great. Metallica. Nothing else matters. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? Totally. So you so when it came out, um, did it get shit on? Did people not care about it? Did it get noticed? Yeah, yeah. I mean like to to say that this record got shit on is to imply so much more attention than it got. Mm-hmm. Um it like I said, I remember like one review that was like and this guy tells you about all the homeless people that he lives near. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that was about it. Um, I don't. I really don't remember. I remember people that were angry that we weren't in the Broadways anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember that people were still pissed off that I wasn't in slapstick anymore at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it was. But I don't remember a lot of attention being paid to this record one way or the other. And especially because it came out, we never played a show, and then Ghost Stories came out six months later. Um, there wasn't a lot of... Uh, there wasn't a lot of time for anyone to pay attention to this. Or at least there wasn't a lot of room in my head to acknowledge people paying attention to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember when Ghost Stories came out, like one of the best shirts that the Lawrence Arms have ever made was a uh, it was just a review and the first line of the review is says Laura's Arms Ghost Stories and the first line is well this is fucking garbage <laughs> you know yeah and then it was like maybe if these guys would slow down and sing in tune maybe it could be like the alkaline trio or something but no they decided to suck instead <laughs> fuck this i've got better things to review and like we we were just like yes and we put that on a shirt fucking awesome <laughs> It's it's like still to this day my favorite shirt that we've ever done. Um, so that means then that we have we have this record that is really um, it's up to the three of you to to grade it to judge it. Um, what what were you all feeling um, when you heard when you finished it when you listened through it? Where were you at? 
I don't remember any of us giving a shit at all, to be honest. Uh-huh. Um, I just remember being like, well, that's done. Okay, to school tomorrow. You know, um, maybe I'm wrong about that. I'm sure there was a sense of, like, pride. I mean, like, I'm pretty, like, meticulous about going back over recordings and, like, listening to them till they're dead just so I can, like, know everything I've done, mm-hmm. you know? So I'm sure... I'm sure I listen to it a lot, but I don't remember. I think there was probably like a little bit of high-fiving and it was like, yeah, great, cool. And then we just went back to like being dudes, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I suppose I I- where the question comes from for me is like you talk about um, it not turning out well and it, it, being a a way to motivate you to try and do better does that just come like does that come naturally or or is there that moment where you stop and say like oh this actually uh isn't as good as we thought it was but let's keep going Mm, no i think at the time we thought it was as good as we thought it was and that's how good we thought it was gonna be yeah um it i think I mean, honestly, a lot of the motivation probably had to do with Chris coming in with songs Mm -hmm. for the next record, you know? Um, So I don't know, you know, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I guess like whatever happened between that first practice with him on the bass and me on the guitar and when we wrapped Guided Tour that got him to come in with his own songs you know, is that the final product of the record? Is that a result of it being great or is that a result of it being bad? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know, you know, but like, I think that was the next like, uh, infusion of gas in the tank or whatever. Yeah, totally. Um, I think it's really dope that we, um, sort of stumbled into covering this record before the new one, which is out um next week next friday and uh and i'm pretty sure that it's mixed it's mixed that's right got artwork and everything not done by me beautiful uh yeah there's there's a lot going on here that we did not have back in the the old days of the salt mines doing guided tours of chicago you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) We're, we're out of that now thank god um, we will be back next week with a special edition, uh, road to the skeleton coast about skeleton coast. We look forward to having all of y'all join us for that. And we all look forward to just the freaking fact that it's going to be July 17th. We have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash better sandwich. You can, you can, yes. Here, uh, us and my friend Kyle Kinane and uh, a bunch of my other friends that I brought on. And um, we got some – we're just having a great time over there. It's been fun. We're getting a lot of a lot of people filtering in. And uh, I'm excited about uh, what's ahead for us on that front and very excited to come back next week for this fucking podcast where we're gonna we're gonna speak to the man himself about his new record 
Enjoy uh, the next seven days of waiting, y'all. We'll be back here next week. Thanks, folks. Thanks, everybody.